one of our uh, values at here at Harbor City is we love the city. And even the sounds of the trash trucks, you know, the beep, 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 and, and the kaboom of the uh, containers, uh, we're, we're wrestling with that on, on Sunday morning, and it's great. Uh, thanks for being here. Those of you who've, uh, who are online, I thank you for joining us also this morning. Uh, we are going to be looking this morning at one of the most beloved stories that Jesus told, one of the most beloved parables of Jesus. It's a parable that has uh, resulted in all kinds of books and articles and works of art, paintings, sculptures. Uh, there's been so many things that have been read and done and said about this uh, particular parable. And over the years, as I've preached this parable maybe a dozen times at least, uh, I've come to the point where I, I'm totally forgotten who all I am in debt to for uh, how I understand this this passage, whether it's Henry Nouwen's book on the return of the prodigal, which really focuses on Rembrandt's painting of, of the prodigal son, or uh, some of my teachers, uh, Dr. Clowney and Tim Keller. Uh, I don't know who I'm channeling from time to time, but uh, this is a parable that uh, has meant a lot to me. And, and as I've understood it more and more, it's, it's been very special. I would say that it's a beloved parable, but uh, it's usually beloved for a different reason than what Jesus intended. It's beloved for a different reason than what Jesus intended. In our minds, as we read it, we read a tale of a father and a son, and we read it and we identify with it to some degree or another, as, as the wayward child, we're moved to tears over the way that the father greets the son back. And if that's your experience, uh, and if that's how you would summarize the parable, here's what Jesus would say to you. He would say, I'm glad that you're moved and you're touched by those realities. But if that's all that you get from this parable, you've really missed the main point of the parable. You've missed the main point of the parable. Because at the end of Jesus telling this story, his original audience uh, was not in tears. They weren't passing around Kleenex over this story. They were livid over this story. They were ticked off over this story that Jesus told. Why were they upset? Well, it's because this isn't just a story about a father and a son. It's a story about a father and two sons, isn't it? A father and two sons. And it's a story that challenged on the one hand and on the other hand rebuked our views of spirituality and our views of, of God. So there's three main characters. There's three different hearts that we see in this passage. The heart of the older brother, the heart of the younger brother, the heart of the father, and there's so much there that they each deserve a sermon. So this is the first of three weeks that we're going to be spending time in this parable. And we're going to talk today about only one of those hearts. And then the uh, following weeks, we'll talk about the other two. In a few minutes, I will, I will try to help you see what the main point of the sermon is that, we're, that it's so easy for us to miss. But first, let's take a look at the other son. We're going to look at the older son this morning. 
that's a tale of three hearts. The older son's heart was a hard heart. What does it look like? What does his heart look like? And I would want you to see several things from this passage that Laura read to us just, just a little while ago about, the, about this son's heart. First of all, it's a dutiful heart. It's a dutiful heart. Uh, we're, when we're introduced to the older son, it says he was in the field. He was out in the field. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. This is the son where if you're parents, you brag about this son. This is the son that did everything right. Uh, this is the son that followed through on his commitments, that stayed and did the work. This is the son that pleased the parents and set the standards for all of the other children in the family. The older brother, though, his heart was dutiful in this sense, that he wanted to be loved for all of that. He wanted to be loved for all of the things that he did for his father. And his father did love him, but his father didn't love him for any of that. That wasn't the issue behind the father's love for the older brother. He had a dutiful heart. Secondly, it was what I would call a calculating heart. It was a calculating heart. Uh, ever, the, the day that his younger brother left and every day since, he had been calculating. Here's what I mean by that. Back then in those days, uh, the custom with regard to inheritance was that the oldest child would receive a double inheritance from all the other, ch all the other children. So in the case of two sons, the younger son would receive one-third of the father's assets. The older son would have two-thirds. If there were three sons, the older one would receive half of it, and the other two would receive each 25% of it. If there were four sons, or the, the, older one would re, the oldest one would receive 40% of it, and the others would all receive 20%. And it gets more, the math gets more complicated after four. So I'm not going to go into that. But uh, what we see here is a man who is out in the field doing everything right, calculating the fact that now that the younger brother has collected his inheritance and gone off, everything that is left is mine. Everything that's left is mine. It's all his at this point. It reminds me of the, of the passage where Jesus encountered the rich young ruler and he challenged the rich young ruler because he, he saw the materialism in his heart. He said, go sell everything you have and follow me. And we know in that story, the rich young ruler went away sad because he couldn't let go of everything that he had. But then in the follow-up to that story, the disciples are there and Peter turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, we have left everything for you. What is in it for us? <laughs> you see, even for Peter, I don't know if he was the firstborn or the oldest or whatever, but even Peter is calculating here. Lord, what, what is the, the value of what we've left behind? And of course, in that passage, Jesus tells them that no one who gives up things in this life will not, be, will not go unrewarded in this life and in the life to come. But we're always asking that question, what's in it for us? 
And as far as the older son was concerned, uh, it was all his from this point forward. The third way that I would characterize the older brother's heart is that it's lonely. It's a lonely heart because he won't go in to the party. When he hears what's going on, when the servant tells him that your brother has come back and your father is throwing this great big party for him, the older brother won't go in. He's left out in the field. He's, he's lonely, and when the father comes to him and, and entreats him to come in and join the party, uh, he says to his father, all these years. That's his mentality. All these years, and you never threw me a party. You never gave me a goat to have a party with my friends all these years. And you see, the irony of all of this is that this older brother who in his mind has done everything right (coughs) is really estranged from the father now, not because of his disobedience, but he's estranged from the father because of his obedience here. His obedience is getting in the way of that relationship and so his heart is lonely. The fourth thing I would say is that his heart is is angry. It's an angry heart. And the words just kind of spill out. He's furious over his father's waste. And it goes back to the calculating heart because as the father trots out all of this stuff for the younger brother, whose stuff is that? The older brother is thinking, that's my fattened calf. That's my robe. That's my ring. Those are my shoes that you're putting on my younger brother. And and whenever we find ourselves getting angry because life isn't turning out the way that we think that it should turn out, we have to realize in our own hearts that we're, we're mimicking, we're aping the older brother in this parable. We're angry uh, because God is not performing the way that we want him to. Well, the fifth thing about this, uh, this older brother's heart is that it's judgmental. He won't even talk about his younger brother as a younger brother. He says in verse 30, he characterizes him this way. He says, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. When this son of yours, he says, not my brother, but this son of yours. He won't even call him a brother because he feels so superior to the younger brother. And that really, friends, is getting at what the main point Jesus is trying to make in this parable. If you look at this, if if you listen closely uh, to the parable as Laura read it, uh, you heard two words at the beginning of this parable. It was the words, Jesus continued. Jesus continued. So when you read something like that, you should automatically think, well, what, what was he continuing in verse 11? And what we find if you go back is that he had just finished another parable. It was a parable about the lost coin, about a woman who had lost, had 10 coins and lost one and found it. But at the beginning of that parable, it starts out by saying, or suppose. And that's another word that, or another phrase that you would use if you were continuing on with something. 
And so what is it that went before the parable of the 10 coins? Well, it was another parable. It was a third parable. It was a parable of the lost sheep, where a man, a shepherd, has 100 sheep, and he leaves the 99 to go after the one. And that parable begins this way. It says, then Jesus told them this parable. Then Jesus told them. So even that word tells us there's something going on even before that that would cause Jesus to tell the parables that he told one after the other. And the answer to our question is in verses one and two, because here's what those verses say in Luke 15. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's the whole context to the three parables in Luke 15, that there are these Pharisees and teachers of the law who are upset with Jesus because he's receiving sinners and he's receiving these people that they don't feel have measured up in righteousness and aren't deserving enough to be received. And so what Jesus does is he tells a series of these, he tells these three parables. The first one, as I said, it's of a, of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them and he leaves the 99 and he goes and finds the one and he brings it back. And what does he do? He throws a party. He invites all of his friends in and says, this one sheep that was lost is now found. Let's rejoice. And he ends that parable by saying, even so in heaven, heaven rejoices when one sinner, when one sinner comes home. And then he continued on to say, or suppose a woman has 10 coins. <clears throat> so we've gone from 100 losing one to 10 and losing one. And he says, the woman has 10 coins. She loses one and she goes on this all out search party for this one coin going through every corner of her house, sweeping us every, every little inch until she finds the coin. And what does she do when she finds the coin? She throws a party and she says, everyone come and join me and rejoice because I found the coin. And then it says, he continued and said, a father had two, two sons. So we've gone from 100, losing one, to 10 and losing one, to now two and losing one. And that son is lost. And when the son comes home and he's found, it's the same story. The son is found. Let's throw a party. Come on in and join us. And, and you kind of hear, if, if, there were, if you were doing a movie out of this, you'd have a score that would be kind of soaring at this point musically over what's going on here. But then right at this point, here's what happens. The needle's lifted off the record and it kind of scratches. Because when the father said, let's kill the fattened calf, bring out the robe, bring out the ring and the sandals, put them on this son who was lost and is now found, it says the older brother was in the field. And you see right away when he said that, and he begins to describe the older brother, 
the Pharisees and the teachers of the law realize they've been set up here. (laughs) That Jesus is talking about them when he talks about this older brother. And he's challenging and rebuking uh, their judgmentalism toward all of these sinners who have come and begun to gather around Jesus. And the Pharisees are gasping at this point. They're livid. Uh, he's making, he's kind of rubbing their noses in this. Uh, he, they, he, they hear the story and think the father is totally out of control at this point because grace enters into the story and they don't want to hear about grace. We talked a little bit briefly last week about Les Mis, and this, this the older brother is Inspector Jovert. He's the one that can't stand grace. He wants everything to be according to the law. You get what you deserved. And when grace enters Jovert's life in Les Mis, he can't grasp it. He can't understand it. And he ends up taking his own life because it doesn't compute. It's judgmental. His heart is judgmental. And then finally, if you want to just sum up everything about this older brother's heart, you would just say it's hard. It's hard. And at the end of the story, if we were scripting it, we'd have the older brother standing with his arms folded across his chest, refusing to go in. And you see, friends, what we have then is a story where both sons are wrong. But they're not equally desperate. And the older brother is the one who's actually in greater danger than the younger brother because he has lost his father's love, not in spite of his goodness, but he's lost his father's love because of his goodness. You see, and the reality, friends, that we need to face is that our righteousness, our righteousness can alienate us more from God than our sin. Our righteousness can alienate us more from God than our sin. Martin Luther used to talk about how we had to repent not only of our unrighteousness, but of our righteousness. And what he's saying there is not that we ought to be sad that we do good things, but he's saying when, our, when we, when we become righteous for the sake of trying to earn God's favor and earn his love, we need to repent of that because we can never, even in our best moments, measure up to what is required. We need to repent even of that. And so that's what the older brother needs. What does he need? I would say two things uh, real quickly here. First, he needs to be broken. Uh, Both of these sons want the father's things without the father. We're going to see that a little bit more next week in the case of the younger son. But they really both want the father's things without the father. So the father has to go out to both of them. He runs out to the younger son when he comes home, but he also goes out into the backyard, into the field uh, to greet the older brother and, and, and try to encourage him uh, to come home at that point. And the immoral one comes home, but the moral one doesn't. One person has said that you will only be drawn to God an intimate fellowship when you are moved by the sight of what it costs to bring you home. 
and older brothers, when, when that mentality infects our heart, we become blind to what it's cost to bring us home. We feel like we never left. We feel like we've done it all right. And we need to be broken and realize that even as older brothers, our righteousness can get in the way of our relationship with with our father. He needs to be broken. But then secondly, what he also needs is what I would call a true older brother. He needs a true older brother. And we don't have this in the parable. It's one of the things that's that's missing intentionally by Jesus in the parable, I believe, because he wants us to think about this. Some, crit- some people criticize this parable from the standpoint of, they say that what the, what the younger brother receives is cheap grace. It doesn't cost him anything. Um, it's, it's easy for him. <clears throat> but the reality is it did cost something. It's just a matter of who paid. In this parable, it was the older brother who paid, wasn't it? Because it was all his stuff that the father gave to the younger brother. The older brother paid. But the younger brother didn't get an older brother who paid and loved him. He got an older brother who was an angry Pharisee. And what it begs for as we read this story is for an older brother Uh, that would be the kind that we really need. One that's willing to be stripped of a robe and cast out and to go through all that Jesus Christ went through so that he he could include us in his family, so that he could willingly give us all of those blessings uh, so that we could be the children of our heavenly father. You see, Jesus Christ is the true older brother that's missing in the parable. And the older brother needs that just like the younger brother does. We need that brother, and that's the one that Jesus offers to us in the gospel. Over 20 years ago now, there was a movie that was uh, pretty famous at the time uh, called Saving Private Ryan. And I'm not going to go into a lot of the story, but it, it really begins in the scene. And uh, it's a Tom Hanks movie and, and Matt Damon. And it begins in a scene in, a, in the graveyard at, at uh, Normandy where the character who eventually is played by Matt Damon is in the current time looking at all the crosses and comes upon a, upon a cross there in the field that moves him to tears. And as, he, as he's looking at this cross, uh, the story goes back to World War II. And the rest of the movie is sort of a flashback uh, to that story. And it's a story about a, a man, Matt Damon, who had three other brothers who were in the war that were all killed. And he was the fourth only remaining brother. And when uh, Washington realized that story, they sent out the Tom Hanks character, Captain Miller, Uh, with a group of other men to go find Private Ryan and bring him home and say, your family's given enough and it's time for you to go home and and be saved from all of this war and, and pestilence. And so the rest of the movie is taken up with Captain Miller going out and trying to find uh, trying to find Private Ryan. He finally does, but he finds him in a situation where uh, the troop that Private Ryan is with is trying to hold on to 
a, a, a position that is on the other side of a bridge that the Nazis are trying to cross. And Matt, and Matt Damon, I'm saying, Private Ryan won't go home. He won't go home. He says, I've got to stay and fight with my brothers. And so he stays and fights, and it's a great cost to his company because many of them are killed, and one who is actually killed is Captain Miller. And when we come to that point where he's has down to his last breath, Captain Miller pulls in Private Ryan, and he says to him two words that stayed with Private Ryan throughout his whole life. Up to that point, as I was watching the story, I was thinking, what, what an incredible story of sacrificial love. It's, it feels like the gospel is being told in this story. But Captain Miller pulls Private Ryan down and he says simply these two words. He says, earn this, earn this. And as soon as he said it, my shoulders just kind of slumped because I said, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Jesus doesn't save us and pull us in and, and say, earn this. Jesus pulls us in and he says, receive this. Receive this. And then live a life of gratitude for what you have received. But friends, we can never earn that. The older brother didn't realize that. He was going through life trying to earn everything that the father was, walk, father was willing to give him freely. Um, but we find that each brother is really thinking in those terms. One returned to the home, one stayed away, but they both thought that they had to earn it. The younger brother was saying, uh, my servants are, uh, my father's servants are living better than I am in the pig pen. I'm going to go home and just be a servant. I'm going to earn my father's love. They both thought they could earn it. But the gospel message is the father coming out with open arms and saying, receive it, come in and party with me and rejoice over the fact that a sinner has come to faith. So here's the final question this morning. Which brother are you in this parable? Which one are you? And you may say, well, I'm a little bit of both. And that's great. <laughs> I think if we're honest, that's where we all are. We're a little bit of both. We can identify with the younger brother. But if we're honest, we can also say that many of those things that characterize the older brother's heart too often are, characterize our own hearts. We're dutiful, calculating, lonely, angry, judgmental, and just simply hard. But friends, the story this morning is that it doesn't matter how long you've been away or how uh, self-righteously you've crossed your arms. The story today is the Father calls you home to enjoy the feast and to share in the welcome of heaven for sinners like you and like me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this story, which is so deep and so convicting on so many levels for us. We ask your forgiveness for all the ways in which we have played the part of the older brother. And we have not been willing to join the party because we don't feel we've received what we have earned. Lord, strip us of that mentality that thinks that we can earn it, that we have to earn it. 
Help us to receive it with grace and receive it with gratitude. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.